1: Hello and welcome to another Record Celtic podcast. My name is Daniel Claw and today I'm delighted to be joined by Record Sports' Michael Gannon and Australian journalist, broadcaster, uh, Francis Leach. Francis, thanks so much for joining us. Hi hey Daniel, hey Michael, uh, it's great to be on the Celtic podcast, I love it. <laughs> what, uh, what time is it where you are?
2: Uh, I mean... Canberra in the nation's capital tonight. Uh, now about uh, getting on towards 10pm on a Monday evening. So living in the upside down compared to you guys, which means watching Celtic games, watching uh, uh, Scottish uh, Premiership football and, and European football is uh, a, a consuming and sleep-depriving thing. But uh, when a team like uh, Celtic are playing the way they are, but, uh, that trademark Postecoglou style, it uh, makes up for it, uh, the early starts and the nights. And the
1: well, as I say, we, we definitely appreciate you joining us. Um, I know that you joined us on the Record Celtic podcast, I think it was back in June, um, so we're delighted to have you back. Obviously, um, Ange Postacoglu is someone that you I think you've worked with um, on and off for, for the sort of last 10, 15 years. Yeah, I've known Ange
2: for a long time. Um, you know, Australian football is a, a, a very diverse
3: and uh, dynamic community, but it's also pretty small, uh, so uh, we kind of get to know it pretty well over the journey. Uh, And in that sense, punch punch pretty much above our weight in terms of the level of talent we produce, uh, both as players, now as coaches as well. And so
2: I've known Ange and followed his career from his player at South Melbourne, a very young coach there, where he led South uh, Melbourne, his childhood club to uh, the National Premier League in Australia back then, when when we were producing some really fine footballers. That league was uh, uh, part-time footballers, but a very high standard and then, of course, through his career, uh, through the A League and beyond, as the national coach as well, and the, the dynamic change he brought to the Socceroos in his tenure there, and the extraordinary football that he had both Brisbane Roar and and the Melbourne Victory playing, and his success in Japan as so well. None of this has been a surprise to me, Daniel. I think I told you at the time what Andrew's about and, and uh, what he can bring to a football club given the opportunity. And he's still got a long way to go. He'll be the first to admit that. This is only just the start of his mission with Celtic. But uh, you, know, you, you know the trademark, all the things I've talked about, what he would demand from his players, uh, the mindset that he requires from his players and his team, the buying he requires and, um, and the passion he expect them to play. That's all been evident in what has been you know, a fantastic first half of the season for him. And, of course, the cup winner as well. He's won his first trophy there too, which is marked for an Australian Football
1: and I to be more of it. Mick, it has been a it's been a huge week for Ange Postacoglu. Obviously, it's it's been a defining week in many ways for his time at Celtic.
0: It has been, yeah. I was interested to ask ask Francis, um, Francis, how how would you describe Ange's relationship with the media in Australia? Uh, I think over here there's <laughs> a
2: there's
0: a, well, there's a bit of a common myth over here that, 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 that Ange doesn't like us guys in the media, which I think is actually not the case because I think he gets on quite well with us. Um, I think he enjoys a bit of a bit of to and fro with us and it's been the relationship has been really good I think Um, but what was it like back home in in, in Australia with him? Oh look he's a he's a very forthright
2: character he's also very funny in a very dry kind of way um, and he does like, to, he doesn't suffer fools, and we've seen that few times. I think there was that famous conference that did, became a meme here in Australia uh, when, uh, when Celtic were about to play by Keys in the Europa Cup tie. Uh, and, you know, it was a great game. I, I did watch that game the second league. And somebody was asking him about ticket locations for the, for the Cup, uh, the, for the, uh, the League Cup final. at Standard Park on the final of this <laughs> game. And he just said, mate, mate. We're about to play a big European tie, and you're asking about ticket allocations. That, that was classic, Anne. So you know, he gave him a bit of a whack, but he also gave him a bit of a cuddle as well. That's the way he is. He, you know, what he has learned from his time in Australia, I guess, this is something that maybe Michael and Danny don't understand. Is it? Anne has always been. This is why I think he and I got on so well because we both had this you in know, different roles. Anne has always been a fierce advocate. And, uh, and promoter and, and uh, you know like evangelist for the for the joy of football and in in Australia as a, a, a top sports person and top coach all the other co with Australian was football and rugby, rugby league football or soccer as it here at times as well has always felt like the child and football uh, and. Soccer roos and, and the quality of football we produce has always been looked down upon, and even at times with suspicion, because the game is traditionally here for all these folks in the post World War II period. A game that has been driven by uh, uh, first generation migrants to this country. Uh, most of our, you look at that 2006 uh, Soccer team that, uh, that did so well the World Cup in Germany, and subsequent Soccer teams that have appeared at the World Cup finals around the world, the names will take that. This is a a, a game that's been built on the on the richness of our ethnic diversity and the cultures that come with it, and it's always been an outsider's game. And he's carried that burden fiercely, that he always thought that football should be uh, treated with more respect and he's going to fight and stand his ground. Even when the soccerers are doing well, he would still get uh, very, very pissed off with things like the fact that they, they would they'd sometimes have to play in stadiums that weren't quite ready or on pitches that, that of a hybrid uh the UTG or, or other things not fitting the national team. So always fighting against the, uh, the, the marginalisation of the game. So that's where he comes from. And so he's, he's not one to suffer fools and he um, he's learned how to carry fight to people. He, he means, look, if you're a football person and you know what you're talking about and you're respectful, you've got no problem. You've got no yeah. problem. And he'll talk football with you all day long about any football you want to talk about. He's not there to, to deal with idiots and he wants suck fools. I think
0: that's fair enough. Yeah, I think I think that's fair enough. I think that's the impression <laughs> we're getting. Also, I think he, he'll talk all day about and he's things. Studying,
2: of- Michael,
0: he's he is. He's um. I must admit, Francis, though, that my first impression in pre-season, I, I wasn't there for his unveiling at Celtic. I, I was away, but I came back. And I went to pre-season training camp um, down in Cardiff in Wales with him, and the first my first meeting with him. And um, the first interview, I, I said to him, um, "How is how is some player's injury?" He says, "I don't know. I'm not a doctor, mate." I said, "Okay." I said, hey, "How how about we talked about budgets?" He goes, "I'm not an accountant, mate." I said, "Alright." I said, "How do you think are going to get go on?" He goes, "I'm not. I'm not psychic, mate." I thought, "Oh no, this is to, this is going to be tough." But I must admit, <laughs> from that point onwards, uh, um, I, I don't know if he was just testing this out, but. Um, but from that point onward, he, um, he's been really great. Listen, he keeps his cards close to his chest when it comes to matters like signings and injuries, things he wants to keep quiet, he'll keep quiet about. But if you ask about, about football in general and the, and the kind of experience of it and his history, listen, we us guys in the written media know about his, his past. We've, we've researched him quite intensively from the summer. So we know about his, his, his history back to his playing days. But when you ask about these things, he's very passionate. He talks about, he talks about his father's influence. He's been, he's been really interesting. I think he's been a, a better mm. than of for, for journalism in Scotland because we like, we don't just like the kind of nuts and bolts. We like the whole story. We like the colour. We like the backstory. We like all the kind of things that, that build up the bigger picture of our personality. And he's, he's brought that. And we're doing, we know him a lot better now. And I think he's been a great addition to Scottish football. He's been yeah. brilliant.
2: Yeah, I think part of what you mentioned there at the start was, I think he would have known coming into the job how big it was. And and just. And he's got a fairly good radar for that. He's got good people around him too. So he would have known there was a lot of scepticism about whether he was up to the job. And that scepticism, particularly in the, in the you know in the sort of rough and tumble and robust nature of Scottish football, was he tough enough to cope with the criticism? Can he deal with a hostile uh, media? Um, you know, how's he going to cope? You know, blow torches applied. How's he going to go? So in typical answer, he would have got on the front foot and she
0: gave a little bit back first. <laughs> but, you know, just yeah. to let
2: you know that he can handle himself. No, I
0: think that's probably part of it too. Yeah, no, but it's all—it's all good fun. It's all good, knock about fun. But I say, I think—I don't think i do not think they need mean, just too hostile up here. But they have a bit of fun now and again. <laughs> um, but no, he seems to enjoy it as well. Uh, since
1: since 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 we last did a Celtic podcast, obviously, um, as I say, one of the defining results in Ange's um, reign so far—a a thumping 3 0 win over Rangers. Obviously, his first win over Rangers.
2: But, Francis, how was how that received in uh, Australia? Yeah, it was news here, definitely. The, see, Ange and I were um, uh, panellists on a long running television program in Australia called Offsiders, which is a sports program on the ABC, the BBC's equivalent here in Australia. And, um, yeah, it was one. The, whenever Ange has a win on off, Offsiders, it always pops up on there. And they spoke about it again on Sunday. So, you know, he's making, he's making huge waves in terms of uh, establishing his reputation overseas, and as, as it was when he won uh, the J League as well. So, yeah, it certainly was big news. Um, and, that, look, I'll be honest, that, that's just big news in Australia anyway. For football fans, you know, the and is big news. So we always keep an eye across it. But for those of us that have a uh, group, uh, you know, it's something in our hearts as well. So uh, it, it was exciting, the way that they played. We saw the brand of football that... That he has brought to the club. It reminded me, I know once again some, some of us might stop at this because they haven't seen the A League at its best, but his Brisbane Royal teams, when they went on that remarkable uh, dual premier title time um, where they won, I think, 39 games and went 39 games underneath, the but they just tore teams apart in the first half of every game they played. They just, you know, just send his team out there to lock down and, and put, you know, both, you know, both on the scoreboard, but also put. They're positioned under such extreme pressure that you know they they eat away at their self belief, uh, and that's what we saw from performance. And they're backing it up again against Motherwell on on the weekend, which is you know that's the banana skin everyone thought was, was was it that off the um off the back of the, of the old firm derby win to get to Motherwell and get a result again in a sh- short space of time, and if anything, was. Even more impressive in the first half So it's it, it certainly making huge waves You know, it's sort of the profile of Scottish football again uh, Here in Australia, we've always had a strong link with Scottish football As you probably know uh, And of course watching Tommy play so well uh, after this disappointment of a, a, a sort of Very stuttering Socceroos World Cup qualification Which looks like he's going, going to uh, uh, Maybe see the Socceroos Miss the World Cup finals for the first time since 2006 For him to come back into that team And play so very well uh, and, and score those goals it was really exciting to watch. Too. Well, we've always known that Tom is a super player. Uh, you know, he started being a professional footballer was really interesting as well. He didn't really play traditional 11-a-side football and come from the National Premier League, elite academies. He was a football player that got spotted as a talent, you know, outside the traditional... Pathways. You know, that's obviously reflecting the way cross control has always been so exquisite. And now he's developing into the leader and the player that we'd always hoped he would. Uh, and he's injury free. Of course, in time not have any number of injuries. Probably had the same problem at Celtic. But you know, getting a good run of games, being one of the ten- leaders in this team now, and, and scoring goals. And you know, uh, when he's when he's up and going, he's he's such good, such a class player. He's also doing that. Watching the games, you know, and, only have had access to Tom briefly uh, in Socceroos camp. So I don't think he's ever been able to get the very best out of him in terms of all the work he needs to do to meet the post-cognitive standard of being, you know, you know one team, a one, one-line player and doing all the defensive work and doing the pressing, all the stuff that's required if you're going to be... Um, a long term member of a post team. It's the only way to sustain that team. We're seeing him do that now. He's got the physical capacity to do it now, and we're seeing him do it on a regular basis. And as you know from watching these teams, that's, that's when these players really start to generate that self belief within the group itself that if they're all doing the work for each other, then the results will take care of themselves. And that's all in Andrew's, you know, you know that's the foundation of his philosophy.
1: Mick, see, see just on uh, Tom Rodgick. Obviously, um, a brilliant performance from him at Fir Park yesterday. I, I'm a little bit surprised that Celtic haven't had more kind of serious interest in him over the last couple of years. He's uh, on his day. He's such an
0: an elegant, kind of explosive player. He's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, but remember, it's only last summer when it looked like 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 Tom was going to be kind of sliding away quietly to the Middle East which is, listen, I'm, I'm sure it's a good level of football, but it's n- maybe not the, the elite level you think that a guy at 28 years old and his prime would be going to. Um, and it, it looked like a kind of sad end to his time Celtic because he's been a great player at times um, through the years. Had his problems with injury, obviously, as, as Francis mentioned. Um, but the transformation this season under Ange coggle has been incredible because this is a guy who looked like he was heading towards, listen, let's be honest, can I almost semi-retirement because he looked... He looked he was maybe playing 15, 20 games a season the last couple of years. Uh, when he played, he always looked good, but w- wasn't playing enough. Um, it, I know there was the year, maybe two I think two years ago, there was interest in Russia, big money. I think we're talking about 15 million, 15 million pounds. But since then, it's all quiet. But now, people are looking at his contract 18 months to go and thinking, get him nailed down because this guy, he's got everything. He's got the physique, he's got the touch, he's got the ability to, to create and score goals. The one thing we were, we were we had concerns about was his engine because famously during his time at Celtic, you get to the hour mark and it'd be right, that's that's time up for him. Um I think I looking back, I think I did I did it maybe a few three or four years ago, I looked at his stats and in four seasons, I think he played ninety minutes about ten times. Um which is not an awful lot really for a professional. So it looked to me, it looked almost like the kind of the, the perfect five side player. With great touch and vision and, and feet, but then after an hour the hooser goes and it's time to go home. Whereas this season, he's playing he's playing ninety minutes regularly. I mean actually on, on, on Sunday, I mean it's he scored two, had an absolutely spectacular performance, had probably earned the right to be to be swagging around. But he was chasing back 60, 70 yards. I've never seen Tom Roggic running seventy yards at any point in time, unless he's right. got a ball in his feet. Right. So I don't know what Ange has done to put a rocket up on him, but it seems to be working a team because he is hes the player that everyone thought he could become this season. Um, and he's now worth his weight in gold. Um, so so fair play to the manager. He's, he's hes getting the best out of him this season. Um, and this is the kind of level that he got. Probably the first season under Brendan Rodgers was something similar. Um, he's back at that level. And if anything else, he's back, back at that level, but with added fitness. So it's, um, it's good for Celtic and for the and for the player. There, there's actually, Francis, there's several players in the current Celtic squad that I think kind
1: of fall into the, the bracket that Mick's talking about. So Rodjick does look transformed um, in the way that he plays. There's also people like Tony Ralston who look like mm. he's definitely surplus the requirements. Transformed this season. Absolutely fantastic. Greg Taylor's another one that didn't quite convince but now looks like a, a brilliant player. I mean is this something that Ange has done throughout his career? He's, you know, regularly improved players? Yeah, look,
3: I think what Ange has done is, you know, there's a, there's a great story for... This is a, a story that from his days at Brisbane. So there was a young German player by the name of Thomas Breuer. She was uh, uh, coming through the German academies. This is in the sort of the... Around
2: 2008, 2009, around that period of time. And he was, you know... You know, he was a junior with a team, many of the players that were uh, went on to win uh, the 2014 World Cup. But he, he lost his way and he sort of ended up on the periphery of European football. And Ange was then out scouting and found him. Uh, and he knew that he, he spotted all the elements that he thought that would be uh, necessary for, for Thomas to uh, be a really fine footballer. And the boys came to Brisbane because Ange uh, convinced him to come. Uh, but Thomas, who I got to know over the journey, his own admission was... Uh, yeah, a part-time footballer in his heart. Like, he was, he's an intelligent man and was interested in music and, and literature and whatnot, and he loved playing football, but he wasn't quite sure that he wanted to be a professional footballer. Under Ange, Ange the penny finally dropped for him about the joy that he could get from the game similar to any book that he would read or any music that he would listen to if he just gave himself over to the game in its totality when he's playing. And that means doing the hard work. That means, you know, Thomas a gifted attacking midfield, scored tons of goals for Brisbane, won the A League Player of the Year a couple of times. It's beautiful to watch. Um, and it was, he said, the big drop when I started when I training for Randy, what I should be looking for is the, the joy in the game that I can find. And the way that I need to do that is to do, is every time I'm out there, give everything that I've got. And Thomas ended up having, you know, it was, it was a career in Australia. You know, he did become a biggest uh, international superstar, but, he, you know, he'll be remembered here as probably one of the finest players that ever played in the O-League. And, he, he, you know, he ended up living, staying living here and his, his life has, you know, become very happy because Ange finally got him to understand what the game could offer him personally if he was prepared to commit to uh, the work and his teammates. And that's what he gets out of players. He, look, you can coach talent and good coaches can coach talent, but great coaches coach mindset. And what I mean by that is that you can coach, you know, the you know, a supremely gifted kid to become a top line footballer. But there's no guarantee without the mindset they're actually going to succeed. But you can, you can at any level, if you can coach mindset and get people to understand what the game offers them and what it demands of them to get the best out of themselves, you've got half a chance. And that's what he does with players. And that's why they, the players that you mentioned, you know, some of them don't get it and some of them will fall by the wayside and some of them will be let go. He'll let them go quickly and move on. But the ones that get it, um, and, you know, um, there will be different people and different players after the time of Ange. Uh,
1: Mick, it's, like Francis says, it, it does look like a mindset thing because, I mean, he's came here himself, Ange Postacoglu, without any backroom staff, a Celtic team that may be one of the biggest rebuilds in Celtic history. And over the last week or so, you know, they forced Rangers into making three half-time subs. Motherwell into making three half-time subs. It looks like they're really hitting their peak now, Celtic, and
0: just suffocating teams almost. Yeah, they're real, They're really on their stride right now. I mean, it's been a bumpy ride at times to get to this stage, but he's, he's now got um, a lot of players coming back from, from injuries, and it, you can see the squad he's built. I mean, he brought in a lot of players, but his strike rate in the transfer market has been has been pretty incredible. And I think most managers... Some some signs are going to be hit and miss. I mean, if you sign ten players, you might get three or four that are that are first team long term um, players. I think Ange has signed he signed seventeen players. A couple of them were teed up before he that he came in, um, but he's, he's he's pretty much brought in nine ten new first team players
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, that have hit the ground failing pretty much running. But you're now starting to see them all. They're all bedded in now. They're all settled. You see the defence now is much more solid. For all the attacking football we talk about. Look the best defence in the league. It's kind of quietly kept up on people that they stopped losing goals in and, and the league. I mean, I know the first half of the season is a bit harem uh, especially in Europe, but the, um, the, for all attacking flair, it's built on a solid foundation as well. Um, so it's no mean feat. I didn't think it was possible to, to really compete this year for the title. I thought year one was going to be rebuilding... Maybe provide a race and then then look for year two. That still might be the case. It still might be that they don't quite make it over the line this year. Because I don't think they should write off Rangers quite yet, despite mm. being hammered last week. Um, so it might might be they have become a little bit short in year one. But they've put themselves in position around the February. They're on top of the table, so it's game on. And if they can go and finish the job off and, and win the league this year, it'd be an incredible achievement this year, considering mm. where they were in the summer, needing an entire new team. Um, that's that's never been, I, I, not in my lifetime, that's never been the case. I mean, I think Martin Neal's first season, they came in, people, I think that was a total rebuild. It wasn't because they had Henrik Larson, they had Paul Lambert, they had Alan Stubbs, Tom Boyd, Jackie McNamara. All these guys were already in the building. A solid core of a team, including Henrik Larson, one of the best players in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a total rebuild. I just had to completely come in. And apart from um, Tom Rogich, Callum McGregor, James Forrest has been injured a lot this season. It's been pretty much a full new team. I mean, there's nine was it nine players who started in, against Rangers last week were in this season. Yeah. Um, which is a huge turnover yeah. for any club, let alone a club like of Celtic. So to get to this stage and be in the running and be in with a great shout and maybe even be the favourites now to win the title is a pretty big achievement. But so let's just see now if they can finish it off. Francis, one
1: other thing that I wanted to kind of draw attention to was that Um, Ange Postacoglu won Manager of the Month for for January uh, in the Premiership Um, and going back to the the kind of mindset point you made he he went out of his way to make sure that that Gavin Strachan was in the the picture with him uh, holding the award he seems to have, as I say he came without any of his own staff but he's almost galvanised the backroom team as well it's pretty incredible because I don't know if you're aware Francis but Gavin Strachan, John Kennedy uh, even Steve McManus I think I'm right in saying, Mick, They all took their fair share of, of criticism last season. A lot of Celtic fans didn't want them at the club. Now, all of a sudden, andy just got them in the, the trophy pictures and kind of getting them to, to take the credit along with them. Yeah, I'm
2: sure he would have been aware of the level of vitriol that was uh, directed at those guys and the level of frustration uh, and disappointment the, the way that uh, last season turned out... Um, uh, perspective. And so he he, he would make sure that they are very much part of his team, and that he shares this, whatever comes his way. And the really smart managers know how to make that connection with fans, because you know the good ones come, and you can enjoy. Them. We all know the best just around the corner, and you need some. Um, you're going to need some some capital with the fans. <laughs> when well, it gets tough, as long as they still believe in you plan and uh, a footballing philosophy that they can buy into, so you know. He, and we've seen that with Ange and, you know, he's committed himself fully, I think, and he, you know, he he's a student of the game. Before we took that check, exactly the history of the club and what it means um, to people, he would have known that. There's tens of thousands of Celtic fans here and he knows the history of, of Scottish football. We've had more than enough uh, expat Scots over the journey. Uh, some of uh, our finest uh, Socceroos have been uh, people who come from Scotland and their life in Australia, so... That he, he wouldn't be aware of what was at stake and what went and, and, uh, he's, you know, and he's not one to, to make the light all his own. In fact, he's often reluctant to take that, that moment. I've never seen him really, um, you know, really bask in a moment fully like that. And that was the night that uh, he was Australia, the Australian Cup against South Korea. I was calling that game... Uh, on the radio that night, you know, having known Ange for a very long time, I could see that he, I know his dad was there that night too, so that's when I fully saw, the, the only time I've ever seen really let himself uh, fully go into the moment and just, you know, celebrate like it was, uh, like it a you know, party like it was 1999, and rightfully so, it was a great night, but yeah, he, he would to make sure that those guys, he uh, uh, made, made it known to everyone that he, they're his guys, they're his guys mm-hmm. now, and um, that, that's uh, part of, Part of the plan, you know? We go as one. We win as one. We lose as one, and uh, everything happens as one.
1: Mac, do you think that people like Gavin Strachan, John Kennedy deserve a bit of praise along with and this season because I mean they took enough stick last season when things weren't going well.
0: Now that things are, are flying, you know, they deserve a bit of the spotlight too? No, I think they do. I think they obviously bought into the manager's ethos, which which has which helped because. I think it was a big risk for Ange to, to go with the with the, the retaining um, coaching staff because, listen, he's came in from, from a long way away and, and he, he doesn't know the, the, the team personally. And it, when it gets bumpy, if people are already on the books at the club, we all know that the, the people have got contacts up the stairs and boardrooms and all that stuff. And, and sometimes managers are kind of a bit paranoid that they think people are after their jobs and all that stuff. Um, I'm not saying that's the case. Of Celtics I, I, I know some of the guys in that coach staff, and they're, they're, they're good guys. I, I don't think they are the kind of guys to do that. Um, but it was a risk for him. He didn't know that. He doesn't know that, that these guys aren't, aren't going to be whispering behind his back if things don't go right early on. Um, so it was a bit of a gamble. So he's put a bit of faith into them, but I think they've also bought into his his plans uh, and they help implement them. So it's been a it's been a, it seems to be working. Um, well, it's, it's working obviously. But there was a gamble at the start for him. But um, they do they, they deserve uh, a lot of credit for, for getting on board and helping, them, helping his vision come to fruition. We should say, Mick, that
1: obviously um, this coming week, another big game for Celtic, obviously, at Pataudry. Um <laughs> Just before we come on here, I was saying to you that that obviously, it, you know, on the paper, it looks like a, a tricky game. But i have actually got a really good record at Pataudry and the way they're playing at the minute. And obviously, factoring in Aberdeen struggling for form. You'd really fancy them to get three points there.
0: Yeah, it, uh, Aberdeen is it's one of these fixtures for Celtic that looks difficult on paper, but when you look at the, the stats through the years, they've, they've got a really good record up there. I think I'll ask Aberdeen fans what they think about Celtic going to um it's, not quite, um it's not quite a game to look forward to. Um, I, I think... Aberdeen are a, are a strange team to put a finger on It's now. That uh, listen, the, the accusation you level at them is they only raise their game for the for the old firm. or um, not that's true or not. I don't know. Like I could result against Rangers, obviously the other week, so they have got it in them. But they haven't been great this season; been very inconsistent. So you'd fancy Celtic if they can turn the pressure on quite early, as, as they do. You get a result there, but I, I think this could be another one of those games where they have to go and see it out and. and and bide their time So I think Aberdeen are Under a lot of pressure now After they lost at the weekend So they only need to come out Biting biting, Fighting and scratching So I think it might be A slightly more tough game Than they've had Against Rangers and mm-hmm. Um But I thought I thought that'd be the case At Mullerville I thought Muller would be One of those kind of games Because Muller were a decent side Especially at home and they, blew, and they blew them away So there's every chance They could do it again At Aberdeen But mm-hmm. it does look like One of those sticky games That they have to get done If they get a result And they move on um, It'd be fantastic for them Francis,
1: as as is obviously going to be inevitable, um, with the things that Ange Postecoglou is doing at Celtic, it's um, you know getting a lot of attention, not just in in Australia but obviously all across Europe. I mean, how? I mean, I don't know how to phrase this. Actually, Um, do you think his ambitions will stretch beyond Celtic in Europe? Will he want to go to the English Premier League, say, or or somewhere else in Europe?
3: Oh, look, yeah. I'd imagine that if he gets an opportunity, he will take it. Yeah, but uh, not until he's completed the work that he thinks he needs to do uh, with Celtic, and that's to win the title and to to reestablish the club uh, to the, at the summit of uh, of, of uh, Scottish football. And I think what he would love to do, and I haven't spoken about this, but I'd, i think he'd love to coach Celtic into a Champions League spot and, and take you know and and to take this club back to the Champions League and to perform well there. I mean, uh, that that for him would be. Part of the mission that he set himself. Look, he, he you know, I can't speak French, but knowing him, he's got no limits on his self-belief that he can, uh, he can compete with the best, and that's all he always told his players. I mean, uh, I sort of, I know I go back to the experiences that he's had previously with the in his Australian footballing life, but you know, I interviewed him extensively before the 2014 um, and World Cup. In Brazil, because he'd only just taken over from uh, from uh, you know that that job, just a couple of months out from Australia going to the World Cup after some disastrous results, and he he, t- he took a squad of predominantly A League players. It didn't have any star power at all. Didn't have any star power other than Tim kale Tim Kale was a standout player uh, in that squad. Uh, and there was, you know, a few, other, Aaron Moy was emerging and a few others, but no one of real high, you know, you know, top, top level playing in top level leagues around the world. And, you know, he just convinced these players that they could compete with the best. And he said, you know, you know, part of our shaking off that mentality that we need to, we need to be subservient to these other teams or other clubs. Uh, or other players because of where we come from. That's not the case. And so, you know, tried the life out of the Dutch uh, in in a game, in Porto Olegre, you know, took on the Chillings as well in Cuiarbar. Well, he played some really, really good football with some, you know, fairly modestly talented players. And, you know, he... um. He, he he's still toe-to-toe with the best managers in the world and, and considers himself capable of being amongst them as he does consider his players. So, uh, and knowing Ange also, it, I'd imagine it is his ambition to be an Australian coach, coaching one of the world's biggest clubs at some point if he can, because he's still an ambassador for the game and I think he would see that as the ultimate vindication of what the Australian game has been able to give him as well as a platform to do that and to... Uh, Build a road to uh, that sort of opportunity for others that might come behind him, but that's all ahead of us. I mean, that, you know, it, who knows? He could miss, he could, you know, have a horrible run of injuries and find himself in a deep hole. Not, not wishing anyone <laughs> bad luck, but football can change so very quickly. He, he could, you could find the second half of the season really tough, and the idea of Ange uh, winning a European trophy will seem a bit, um, a bit uh, uh, frivolous at this particular point on his journey. But um, yeah, you know, his his trajectory has been up. Uh, for a while now. He's made some brave decisions along the way, like when he decided not to take the Socceroos to Russia 2018, even though he just qualified, he walked away from that because he thought, it, it, you know, the team and the culture of Australian football at that point wasn't going to meet uh, the sort of philosophical standards of the way he wanted to play the game and the way you're seeing now, the sort of attacking football. We sort of shrunk back into ourselves and we're hoping to eke out... Uh, modest results to get through. He never wants his team to play that way. He's never going to play for a draw. I think you've noticed that already. Um, uh, so they weren't get. People didn't want the sort of football that he was insisting that be the trademark of Australian football, that it represented Australian character, that we don't take a step back, that we take the game to the opposition, that we never stop. And you've seen that tra- famous training video where he says, we just don't stop. If the opposition want to stop, fine, let them, but we'll keep going. If people aren't prepared to commit to that, he'll move on. So, um, and it gets results. It's got results wherever he's gone. So in his long-term plan, in his heart of hearts, I think he wants to be the very best manager he can be. And if that means at some point, you know, taking on one of the really, truly superpower clubs, that'd be an amazing achievement um, for him. But he's got important business to do here and he'll throw his heart and soul into that uh, until he thinks he's, you know, he's completed his mission.
1: Uh, Mick, uh, I think Francis makes a good point. that I, I don't think Ange would consider going anywhere, whilst he still has objectives to complete the Celtic. But it is inevitable, like when Celtic get you know a promising player, you know, English Premier League clubs in particular are going to be having an own their
0: in this direction. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think you ha- have to have success in, in, in Scotland, first of all, because, listen, we've, we've seen Celtic managers in particular who have been extremely successful and not really get a look in, in England. Um, I mean Neil Lennon won a shedload of of um end up at Bolton, which was uh, even then it was a pretty poison chalice back then as well. I think I think Brendan Rodgers is slightly different. I think Brendan Rodgers got the job at Leicester because he was Brendan Rodgers who'd been the Liverpool manager. Maybe so it's, it's a difficult leap to make from Celtic to the, the English Premier League. The only thing is a lot of jobs come up in that England because it's a it's a, it's a bloodbath for managers down south. There will be positions that come up through the years and and the more people notice that there's something different happening at Celtic, it's not quite the usual um, run-of-the-mill stuff that's happening in the dug out at Celtic that might make teams who are a bit more adventurous take notice. Um, But in the short term, it has to deliver at, at, at Celtic. Um, there has to be titles, has to be Champions League, there has to be results in the Champions League, not just turning up and making up the numbers, there has to be results. Um, I, I think Celtic have been guilty of dropping their ambitions in the last kind of decade in terms of Champions League. I think the, the the target went from being there and being successful at that level to just turning up and maybe hopefully getting there. And now they haven't been there for, what, three, four years. Um, so I think getting to the group stage isn't enough. I think they have to compete in the group stage and they have to try and make sure they get to Europe beyond Christmas, either at Champions League or in Europa League, uh, so yeah, there's, there's big target still to me. I think he's, he's done great so far, but this is this is very much the start of the journey for for Postacoglu at Celtic. There's a lot to do before I think anyone can think about the next step because uh, Celtic have got to get, to be successful first before that comes in, into into play.
1: Francis, just just to finish off uh, today's podcast, um, you obviously you know Ange uh, quite a bit. I know I'm putting, you, I'm putting you in the spot badly here. I know you won't see every game in Scotland, but no one has drive, his determination. Would you back him with a point advantage to go on and, and win the Premiership title this season? Yeah,
3: absolutely. He'd, he'd relish, he'd relish what's ahead of him. Uh, you know, there are all those variables that you can't control and that's injuries and, uh, and whatnot, which, which could change the shape of the, of the title challenge. And that's not only for, for Celtic, but for Rangers and, and as well. And, and, um, Outside of those variables, he'll be driving his players to do exactly that. Um, And what he'll be saying to them is what a wonderful opportunity it is. Look at this opportunity you've created for yourself Um, and you're you're halfway there, but you're only halfway there. So, yeah, I think, you know, I know there's a lot of fixtures coming up um, in the next couple of weeks, which... You know, given the the sort of, like, the, the, the demands on players in this, I think they sort of, the whole COVID period has demanded a lot from footballers all over the world, um, you know, in ways that we can barely understand in terms of, you know, COVID bubbles and playing without fans and, and just having to be live a different way. So there's a lot of that stuff going on. Of course, you've got the Conference League stuff in the middle of that as well, which is just another level of complexity when it comes to travelling to Europe and playing in some far away, wonderfully exotic places. But, you know, the travel stuff will be really fascinating. And There's all that stuff going in there as well. Uh, but, you know... If you're if you're in a, a race like this, you're in a marathon, and you're halfway through, and you're feeling good, and uh, you've got your nose with a leading pack, you've got to believe you can win it, can't you? And yeah. That's, the, that's you know, and that's what that's the mindset with which you've got to play. Absolutely, so, you know. Absolutely. He'll be excited. I've got no doubt he'll be excited that, and he. Look, I know Angelo enough to know he believes he'll be able to coach his team to win it. <laughs> he'll believe he can win it. Don't worry about
1: that. And Mick, some sort of Celtic fans, and I realize I'm getting you know, woefully carried away here. But some Celtic fans will look towards a treble, perhaps. The Scottish Cup coming into it as
0: well. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry the, the, for everyone listening, the, the, the rice smile on next face. In this podcast, I, I I don't know if I'm the voice of doom or the voice of reason. I tend to kind of... <laughs> uh, uh, a bit more devil's advocate. And I, I still think the title race is a lot of twists and turns to come. Yeah. Um, I see. I don't think we should... I don't think anyone should be writing off the Rangers at this point in time either. No. Yeah.
3: Could Mick? Can I just ask you? Do you think it's going to come down to that fixture on the third of April at Dybrox?
0: Could it come down to that second last weekend? I think it could do. Yes, I think I think it quite possibly could do. But I think I actually tend to think that the titles are decided away from the old firm games. Um, I know there's points available in these matches, and uh, but I actually think it's it's not dropping points elsewhere. What matters. I think we all get fixated on these games. And listen, I'll, I'll be doing the same thing. That we, the hype machine will be cranked up and you fall into that 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 trap. But I think it's the points that they get to other titles are one and lost elsewhere. It's one at, at, at Motherwell, at Potaudry, at Tyne Castle. These are the places where the, where the points are won. I think the old firm games will be big marker posts. And that one in April could be that will be extremely interesting. But... I'd still think there's points to be dropped elsewhere along the way. Um from both sides. I think from both sides. Um but certainly I've got a head of steam, they've got momentum, they've got players coming back. I think they're very strong for the running. Um but I'm not I'm not putting any money anywhere just this this point in time yet. I think there's still, still a long way to go. As for trebles, listen, it's it's there for them, but I think um, there's a lot of things that can happen, especially cup ties with anything. I mean red cards and injuries and chaos, who knows? Um, if you can pull a treble off, I maybe mean, they will start you outside Celtic Park after this season. But uh, a long way to go, I think. And it's...
3: you, both of you guys, have just written off the Conference League completely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's lot That's another thing. We've got a pretty winnable tie in the Conference, and we're going to 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 Bodo uh, in Norway. Uh, and thinking in in, a, in, a week, in two weeks' time, winnable tie. Then see what that takes them. That, I mean, they could go deep in that competition. Uh, they should be able to go deep in that competition. Um, so that will be interesting be Interesting going to the Arctic Circle at the end of the month in February <laughs> um, I'd imagine the climate will be slightly different to yours Francis oh, just a bit <laughs> just, just a bit Michael <laughs> but, um, but, but we're looking forward to it but I think I'll leave my flip flops back here <laughs> it's just such an unknown
1: quantity the Conference League because it's its first season but I, I do agree that when you watch Celtic on a night if they can play like that consistently the sky's the limit you know, there's, there's there's not too many big teams in it, but I suppose I suppose time will tell. Um, Francis, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast this week. Uh, I can't uh, express the gratitude enough. Thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Daniel. And uh, yeah, up the boys. Let's have a, another win on the weekend. Yeah, fingers crossed, and hopefully we can have you back before the season's out
0: as well. That'd be great. Love to talk to you. See you, Michael. See you, Daniel. Actually, we're hoping, hoping is that pre-season training is in Australia next, next <laughs> summer, so we can come down and see you, around And do the podcast, we could like uh, I could I couldn't bring my flip flops for that one. Hopefully, you could.
3: And I'll, I'll have to buy buy the sunscreen in oil in oil barrels for you, Michael.
1: Oh, and that's Daniel.
0: <laughs> slap, slap it on.
1: <laughs> Um, as well as you say, it's always a pleasure spending spending my Monday morning with you. Um, and for everyone listening, we'll be back next week. Thanks very much.